If you are ready to change the way people experience the transition to parenthood, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview postpartum professionals, academics and researchers, as well as parents with unique perspectives on postpartum. Whether you've been working with new families for decades or are brand new to postpartum care, we'd love you to join us. I'm your host, Julia Jones. Hello and welcome to the Newborn Mothers Podcast. I'm your host, Julia Jones, and today we've got Christy on um, about technology. Now, Christy, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself. I know Christy from various online groups, um, and I know that I and lots of other mothers are always asking her questions about the impact of technology on our children. Um, And so today, specifically, I wanted to invite you on the show to chat about Um, particularly the use of technology during those very early weeks and months um, and even perhaps during pregnancy. But um, it's something I know that a lot of people are worried about um, and uh, and there really aren't very clear answers or information out there. So, Christy, let, let me know a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you for having me, Julia. Um, So I'm a mum in the digital trenches with other parents and I was a um, teacher um, and then an academic um, and I became really interested in on the impact of technology and how it shaped young children's health, learning and development. And um, it was whilst I was on maternity leave um, with my first son um, that I was visiting. I'd been to the paediatrician for the six-month developmental check and I got the all clear, but I was the A-type first-time mum. Um, so I took my son back to our local healthcare clinic nurse to repeat the six-month developmental check. Now, she didn't know that I was a technology researcher and she sort of went through the regular questions, you know, was he babbling? Had he started solids? Was he having tummy time? And then she turned and asked me what apps he was using at six months of age. And I proceeded to say nothing. You know, he was six months of age and he dribbled on me and not a, not a screen. And the healthcare nurse proceeded to do the skippy sound, which many Australian listeners will be familiar with, the with the wagging finger and the health nurse proceeded to tell me that I would let my son fall behind if he wasn't having a dose of about 15 to 20 minutes of baby Einstein DVDs every day um, and that he should also be learning letters, nursery rhymes and colours on the iPad at six months of age. Oh, my so God. If my... you can see my face right now, because my jaw just dropped. <laughs> I've heard some pretty bad child health nurse stories. Yeah, um, that's up there. Wow, that's right up there, yeah. <laughs> Yes, so I, I, and foolishly, I'd made the appointment, first time mum, I'd made the appointment at nine o'clock in the the morning, so I hadn't been caffeinated, so I couldn't come up with a coherent response. I was absolutely flabbergasted because I knew as a researcher in this area that that was, you know, grossly incorrect, you know, very misleading advice. Um, And so I left that um, clinic appointment and then I finally got the non-sleeping baby to have his nap. And during his, he had one of those sonic naps, you know, where they nap for four hours and you go in and check that they're breathing and then you commando crawl back out. Um, And in the space of four hours, I started a social media campaign that babies need laps, not apps. And it went viral. Um, And then at the same time, I thought I'm going to write a book about this topic because I knew as a researcher, all of this great research was being done and, and is still being done today on the impact of technology in young children and the relationships they have with parents. But I knew having been a parent my first time, how much conflicting advice we're often given. And, you know, I had that experience with the healthcare nurse where she was actually giving out misinformation um, and perpetuating myths. 
Um, so I really fell into this work purely by accident. It was that one sort of serendipitous meeting with the clinic nurse that really spurred me on. And so I, I guess I take the research and science um, in terms of the neuroscience and developmental science and the work we know about technology. And then I translate it into what parents, teachers and now health professionals um, need to know about technology and its impact on, on kids and their health and well-being. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> it's been certainly exactly my experience. Um, and because my audience is both listeners, the listeners are both mothers themselves and mm. also a lot of them are actually professionals, I know it's something that professionals are finding it hard to get good information on as well. So one of the troubles that, that I often come across is midwives and doulas and that sort of thing are saying, you know, mums are asking me or I'm seeing the way that mums are interacting with technology and their children. And I don't actually know what the best suggestions and advice to give is because obviously I want to start by making sure everyone knows that you and I are absolutely not about guilt and blame. That's um, right. And that we can totally see there are amazing benefits of technology like this. We're doing this podcast right now because of screens mm -hmm. and, um, and so it's not about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but do you want to talk a little bit about, um, some of those benefits of technology for, for pregnant women and new mums? Absolutely. And I think you've, you've touched on something. I call it techno guilt. And I think any mum knows what mother's guilt is. I, I tried unsuccessfully to explain mother's guilt to my husband the other day. Um, he looked at me as I was explaining a very convoluted, complicated scientific concept. Um, but I think many of us feel, you know, pangs of guilt. And I often call it that techno guilt. Um, and, you know, technology is here to stay. So suggesting that we abstain from using Using it is unrealistic and unhelpful advice. Um, instead, I think it's just about us finding healthy and helpful ways to use technology um, and at the same time minimising some of its harmful effects. And as you said, there are so many benefits, particularly for um, imminent or, or new mums. Um, one of the things that we, we know, one of the reasons why we find it technology so appealing is that it caters for our one of our fundamental psychological drivers as humans. And that is our, our number one need we all have, and that is the need for connection. We are hardwired for relational connection. We want to feel like we belong and connect. And so for new mums, this is why social media groups, this is why um, blogs, um, and any other form of social interaction have become so popular because they give us a means to, to get, get that social interaction that we're craving. And I know for many mums, particularly um, geographically isolated mums, it's even more amplified, the early stages of motherhood often present social isolation. And so this is where technology can be great because we can get that fix and that, that sense of, of connecting with other mums and other people as well um, via our phones. I think it also gives us access to, um, you know, information. And this can be a double-edged sword. Um, you know, Dr. Google can provide us with some preliminary advice. And I always recommend we obviously follow that up with qualified medical professionals. But, you know, when you're at 3am in the morning and, and questioning whether you need to be seeking medical advice, sometimes those online forums can give us some, some reassurance and or alert us to, to gaining extra help as needed. So I definitely think there, there are huge benefits um, so long as we're in control and using it in a balanced way. Yes, I love that. And you know, there's some research by Paul Zach that found that um, using social media increases oxytocin, which people often think that it's not a real thing, you know, that a connection on social media isn't a real connection, but your brain thinks it is a real connection, you know, and um, 
and that certainly can be you know a real feeling of, of community so i think it's really important i also want to make a note here that some traditional cultures are actually starting to restrict the use of um technology during the six weeks after childbirth so lots of traditional mm. cultures have these ideas of, of like 40 days of resting and um staying at home and that kind of thing and in modern times that has come to become include you know in some cases banning technology so um you know i just don't think we should be that um extreme about it no but but I just wanted to, to jump in there, and I think that that's fascinating, um, that sort of concept of, of taking sort of a break. And I think new mums um, are very vulnerable, and there's this, you know, a, a lot of research is coming out that tells us that heavy social media users tend to have higher rates of um, anxiety and, and other issues. And we also know that if we're always... Um, resorting to our phones, um, which is so easy to do in those early, you know, days when we are literally bed or, or chair-ridden feeding little ones, um, that sometimes it can cause, it can elevate our stress levels. And we already know, you know, new mums are dealing with a host of hormones post-birth. And if we introduce a lot of social media or we're using it excessively, it can really overload our sensory and nervous system. And so we often enter what we call this hyper-aroused state, um, which can be problematic, again, if it's used excessively. But I think, like you said, you know, moderated use can fulfil that need for connection, um, so long as it's sort of a balanced approach. Yes, and it can be seen as a piece of the puzzle of connection. It certainly yes. doesn't replace real life connection, but it can be a way of finding like-minded people and connecting with groups that then you can meet in real life. Um, so I agree, it's all got to be sort of seen in, in a holistic way. Um, and one of the things a lot of mums feel really guilty if their kids watch TV and they ask me how much TV is too much TV and you'd be better at answering that than me. But what I always say is if you are worried that your kids watching too much TV, instead of feeling guilty about it, um, think about building your village because a lot of the reason the people turn to their phones and their screens is because they don't have the real life support and connection mm. and help that they actually need and that traditionally we would have had that village of support. You know, So if you're using the TV as a babysitter, maybe you actually need to get a babysitter or, um, yes. you know, maybe you actually need to find some friends or neighbours who you can um, do kid swaps with every now and then. So trying to think of like, yeah, if the media, if the social media or TV screen use gets out of hand and if you're worried about that, think of like, well, why am I doing this and, um, you know, how can I get to the root of this problem instead of just feeling guilty about it. Are you loving this podcast? Check out our books at newbornmothers.com. Nourishing Newborn Mothers is a recipe book designed to nourish your mind, body and soul after childbirth. And my second book, Newborn Mothers, was a bestseller. I know, I can't believe it either. It's about baby brain, village building and how to find happiness in 21st century parenting. You can get the first chapter free of both books at newbornmothers.com books. I love that and I, I love your perspective on looking at what's driving the behaviour. Um, so often that, that is, you know, the, the first thing that I would suggest that, that people do before they riddle themselves again with that sort of techno guilt. Um, in terms of time, this is probably one of the most frequently asked questions <laughs> that every parent, whether I'm at the park pushing the swings and someone wants to know, um, you know, we do have government guidelines or recommendations regarding all screen time and I can share with you what they are in a moment. But like you, I always say to parents, 
parents, rather than focusing and obsessing on how much and how much is important, um, really critically, we need to make sure that the amount of time kids are spending with whatever screen, tablet, TV, um, gaming console, that their screen use isn't displacing their fundamental basic needs. And kids have seven basic needs. It doesn't matter how old they are. Kids need relationships. They need sleep. They need play. They need physical activity. Um, they need what we call executive function. So these are sort of self-control skills. And they also need good quality nutrition. And if kids' basic needs are being met consistently, then a bit of screen time isn't likely to derail their development. But if they're spending too much time on screens, then we can see how those fundamental basic needs, you know, they might be getting enough sleep, they mightn't, I left one out, sorry, I do remember, it was social interaction, um, relationships with mm -hmm. others. So if screens are superseding those basic needs being met, then we do have problems. And, you know, we're seeing some preliminary evidence at the moment um, in schools where kids are entering formal school with some delays in language skills, social skills, um, fine and gross motor skills as well. And the preliminary evidence at this stage is because it's screen time has interfered with those basic needs being met. Yeah, so, so this idea that your child health nurse was telling you that there's like mm, a requirement that your child should be yes. doing baby Einstein is actually completely the opposite and that that's not going to help your child get ahead Absolutely. Absolutely. And, in fact, the, the research actually tells us that, well, the, the company that made those, Walt Disney, brought out baby Einstein DVDs and a lawsuit was placed against them a couple of years ago um, for over $26 million for false and misleading advertising because their marketing collateral suggested that those DVDs would bolster your child's brain development and boost their language skills. And both of those claims have been proven repeatedly in research not to hold true. Um, you know, nothing beats ping pong interaction and gooing and garring at, at your baby. So making sure those basic skills and needs are being met. And then if we did need to, for example, have a shower without, you know, fretting about our little one, then popping them in front of something for 10 to 15 minutes maximum would be, you know, an okay alternative, but not doing it in the guise of us preparing our little one for Harvard, for example. Yes, absolutely. So what are the guidelines around so, time? The government suggests, and I don't necessarily endorse these, and I'll explain why in a moment. At the moment, the government says no screen time for not to two-year-olds. So that is talking about all screens, televisions, tablet devices, smartphones, uh, laptops. For two to five-year-olds, the recommended amount of screen time per day is no more than an hour. And for five to 12 year olds, the recommendations are for one to two hours of screen time a day. Now, each country has different guidelines. They're fairly consistent um, though around those sort of figures. And my concern with these guidelines is that they only address one piece of the puzzle. It's important to know these guidelines have never been scientifically validated. So no one has done any studies to prove, you know, that one hour threshold for our two to five year olds is okay and anything exceeding that and you're in dangerous territory. My other really big concern with these guidelines is they only focus on how much. And yes, how much is important, especially if it's, you know, superseding their other needs. 
But what's more important, I believe, is looking at other questions like what are they doing? Is it age appropriate? Is it developmentally appropriate? Um, is it educational or is it leisure? Also looking at when, you know, there are times of the day when we need to be really careful, particularly around sleep and nap time. Um, we know, for example, blue light from small handheld devices like tablets and smartphones actually emit blue light and that blue light stops your child's production of melatonin which is that sleep hormone so over time these sleep delays can accumulate into a sleep deficit um, we also need to, to look at where you know what places and spaces in the house is technology being used and also who um, a lot of research tells us that if kids are watching tv for example watching it with a parent or a carer in close proximity can really help them to understand and make meaning so I think that the how much is important, but it's not the only question we need to be asking. Yeah, so there's so much more context to it than that. So, for totally. example, if your kids have, like, a happy, healthy, busy week and then on a yep. Friday night you watch a movie together, that's exceeding the one-hour uh, dose. Yes. But you're doing it together and they've had good food, good nutrition, you know, Absolutely. Good and they've got people around to explain the concepts that, are, that they're seeing and to be able to have discussions about things they might be learning or that they don't understand. Absolutely. And that's a really important point. I think, you know, this is where my child health nurse went really wrong, suggesting that a six-month-old watch Baby Einstein DVDs and, it, you know, it would prepare him for learning. We know that kids somewhere between 18 and 36 months start to make meaning from a screen. So before sort of one and a half to three years, yes, they will watch a screen. You know, you only need to see a newborn baby sort of twist its head to try and find where the screen action's coming from um, to see how they become attracted to technology. But their brain is actually incapable of making meaning from a 2D screen and translating it to that real world until they're somewhere between those 18 and 36 months. Mm -hmm. so. so let's take it back a little bit earlier. A lot of the questions I get are um, in those early weeks and months so the children aren't necessarily, the babies aren't going to be watching the screen themselves, but the mothers often are. So this is a term that you introduced me to, but this idea of brexting. I know a mm. lot of women are, whilst they're breastfeeding, they're on their phones, either connecting with people, they might be mm -hmm. reaching out for breastfeeding support from their mum's group, um, or they might be just reading for leisure, like reading an e-book or something, um, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. How does that affect both... I mean, I guess the biggest concern is the bonding with the baby, but also um, radiation and those kinds of things. What, what are the impacts of that? Yes. Look, we're seeing some emerging studies come out um, in this regard, um, and it's obviously a tricky area to get ethics approval to do research. Um, but what we are seeing, and, and I guess my concerns, and again, I'm fully transparent as a mum who breastfed with her little kids, sometimes with her phone clutched to her hand, um, I understand how captivating it can be and how it can really help us fill that void. Um, so I don't for a minute suggest that we, you know, suggest newborn parents digitally amputate themselves and should have every feed, you know, screen free. Um, I know many parents of older generations said, you know, I sat and flicked through magazines or I watched the telly while I was feeding. Um, but a couple of things about technology that make it so much more engaging and captivating and difficult to switch off as compared to a book or a magazine is that when we're using our screens we enter something called the state of insufficiency and this is this idea that there's no finish point there's no end point you know we can always refresh social media and there's something else to look at there's always another browser we can open another podcast we can listen to and so there's never that sense of being done so we it, we, we literally find it hard to switch off my concern as both a researcher and a mum in this area is 
what we can potentially be missing out on if we're spending the entire feed and the whole, um, you know, every feed that we are having with our little one on our devices. So, again, not suggesting we never do it, um, but if we're using it excessively or if it's being, you know, a, a sort of a habit that we're forming, we're worried about um, screens actually being a physical impediment to the baby actually engaging in facial mapping. And we've done scans where we put newborn babies in MRI machines and actually look at what's going on in their brains. And we know that kids start to process, their visual system starts to mature before many other systems. And so when they're facial mapping whilst they're feeding, whether it's breast or bottle fed, um, they're actually engaging in those really important visual processes. And they're obviously developing that essential bond with their parent or caregiver. And we know in many instances, I'm doing some work with lactation consultants at the moment who are telling me that the phone can sometimes be a physical impediment to the baby actually gazing at the mother's face or the caregiver's face so that's one of the ways and we know if parents are distracted all the time sometimes they miss really important cues you know the little winces or grimaces that kids might um, indicate so we can to facilitate that bond so there are some concerns um, in in that regard and again just a balanced approach you know making sure that the whole feed isn't on your device maybe waiting till your little one starts to wear out or nods off and they're not as interested in that facial mapping um, just finding other ways um, to to avoid always using the device as a distraction yeah i love it I love it. And what about radiation? Is, is there yes. know anything about that? Look, we're, I'm going to be the first to say we have so much scientific uncertainty in this area. Mm-hmm. However, um, I have been to several electromagnetic radiation conferences and my husband now tells people I've become a Wi-Fi warrior and a Wi-Fi <laughs> warrior. Um, and I have. And my concern, we don't yet have proof of harm, but we also don't have proof that these devices are safe around kids. And I am really worried. Um, as cautious Christie, I'm, I'm worried this could be the asbestos or the tobacco of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think we need to be really careful, particularly with newborn babies and young children, is that their skull is thinner than that of adults and they have more water in their brain than, than adults do. Meaning that if, and I stress that word in big, bold letters, if we do have health risks associated with Wi-Fi exposure, our young kids are very vulnerable just because of the way their brain is designed. Um, so a couple of things I say to parents, again, try not to have, you know, routers. I know many family homes often, for whatever reason, design purposes or rebuilds, often have routers in the nursery. Um, so keeping, you know, Wi-Fi routers out of high traffic areas where your baby or your kids are, turning devices to wi- um, airplane mode when you don't need Wi-Fi access, um, speaking on loudspeaker as opposed to having the phone up to your ear and, you know, many toddlers that start to become vocal often like speaking to parents or grandparents on the phone and always making sure that's on um, loudspeaker. Um, just minimising exposure where we can because I would hate for us to look back in five years' time and think, wow, there were, you know, really serious risks and we totally overlooked them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, a lot of uncertainty but... Yeah, I, 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 I err on the side of caution to minimise exposure. Yeah, that's really good advice. And we won't really know for probably no. decades if it's really a problem or not, but we may as well um, take those precautions now. That's right. Yeah. And, and another one too is, is avoiding your phone. You know, when we sort of try and pick up the signal and we wave the phone 
and around trying to pick up the Wi-Fi signal. When we have poor reception, sending a text message or just not using the device at all is a much better alternative because our devices are pumping out electromagnetic radiation in those instances to pick us up a signal. So, Oh, interesting. Minimizing. So that's the highest electromagnetic yes. radiation when they're trying to connect. That's right. Interesting. In, in low signal areas. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, okay. Because a lot of people would probably think the opposite, that a high signal area would have more um, radiation. Yeah, no, poor reception areas. Your, your phone is working harder, so it's emitting more of the radiation, yes, to pick up that signal. That's mm-hmm. right. Great. Thank you so much. I think you've covered everything that I wanted to know. Do you have anything else to add? And then also, I'd like to let everyone know about your ebook too. No problem. So I have, um, look, I say to parents, and it doesn't matter what age range, I speak to parents of newborns right up to 16-year-olds um, and also to employees in the workforce. And my main message is this, and that is that we need to tame technology and not be a slave to our screens. And I think if we can start to develop those habits early on with our young children, if we can model them, and I know as a mum <laughs> who loves her phone as well, that this can be sometimes really challenging for us to do, but if we can start to foster those habits, our kids will develop healthy technology habits because the reality is whether we love it or low that they will inherit a digital future. Um, so I have a, my digital home is at drchristygoodwin.com and I've got a wealth of information for um, parents and caregivers there. I've got some ebooks on sort of bite-sized topics for parents of particular ages um, as well, and they can be found on my website, and I can send you through a link as well if you'd like, Julia. Yeah, we can definitely include that link in the show note. I have downloaded some of your ebooks myself, and I know that they are really excellent. And I always love your approach because it's very informative, um, it's very sensible and realistic, but also, um, you know, not not making people feel too guilty or, or worried, and not being naive and thinking that we can just avoid this whole situation. Mm, lovely, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. All right, see you later. Bye. Here at Newborn Mothers, we believe that every family has the right to high-quality postpartum care. If you want to join us, learn more at newbornmothers.com. And if you like this podcast, we'd really love you to leave us a five-star review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.